down your unders. Down your unders. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Art of War. Down Under. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode 134 of the Out of War Down Under podcast. This one is going to be a little different if you do not know. I am sitting in a hotel room with two of my most favoritest of people, uh, John Lennon and Jack Harpster. And this this episode is going to be a little bit of a compilation. I'm not sure how many interviews I'm going to get, but I am canvassing the best and brightest of the Cherokee, Frontline Gaming Cherokee Open, for some people who want to give me their opinions and their feelings about the current game and the current meta. I've got a bunch of pretty cool questions that I'll be asking various amounts of from my patrons and, some my, and my supporters. And yeah, we're going to compile these into a bunch of shorts and pretty much just give you guys a TLDR of people playing the game how they're hearing about it, how they're enjoying it. We are after day one of Cherokee, with John and myself being 3-0, and and Jack going down by one freaking point to the reddest of the reds that you could ever have read. Uh, what, one second verse. How many Deathwing Terminators? Yeah, so he was playing 40 Deathwing Terminators. So he was playing 40 Deathwing Terminators on the scouring, where he dropped the first piece of terrain and went first. I'm playing Mono Zinch Demons, that has like a six of save in melee and has a bunch of flamers and AP one and AP two and he gets a two up against all of that and he can res guys and he's like plus two to charge and he has forty dudes. I can't emphasize that enough. Um, lost by a point though. If I'd killed an extra model, I would have gotten it. Absolute stellar work, anyway. But so I'm sitting here passing around my headset, so it might seem a bit disjointed for you guys. I'm not going to be able to keep up very quickly. I'm just going to be asking questions, passing over the microphone, getting a full answer, getting it passed back. Hopefully that comes through. Not too much work for Seamus either. But uh, two-part podcast, guys. You do not know, Art of War Done Under is two parts, uh, lovingly created by myself and Seamus Ronan, coming out Tuesday mornings. You can get part two over on the Art of War Down Under on Patreon. And we're going to start kicking this one off. First question, Mr. Jean Lennon. Um, how are you liking Arcs of Omen? Uh, are you liking it? Why and why not? There's a lot of different aspects to arcs that I kind of do and don't like. I really like that it feels like almost every army in the game has a higher floor than before. It feels like there's less armies that are just straight bad and unplayable than before. What I don't like, though, is that it feels like those top armies, especially the shooty ones, are a little too powerful. I think it's just that the a couple of the top armies in Nephilim were very different builds, and that promoted a little bit more diversity, where now it feels like the top two or three armies in Arcs of Omen all have a lot of ability to shoot you. And that kind of impacts the game because you have to prepare for the top armies all in the same way. And so I, I think I think that's a little bit unfortunate. Yeah, I think I see what you're saying. Like um, The previous dynamic, the previous metagame was all very durability-based, which is kind of the skew that, I guess, Harlequins and uh, Leviathan pushed was a durability and or a speed skew. And so, but now, with especially with those guys going away and freaking uh, Armour Contempt going away, it really feels like it's a DPS race now. Um, Jack, how are you liking your arcs, my boy? Uh, I'm loving that there's so many uh, armies that got a new lease on life. I'm loving demons right now. Uh, there's a lot of armies that can all point guns down range, and nobody really has any durability right now, um, with the exception of, I guess, Pink Horrors, but, you know... But yeah, there's there's a lot of guns, and you want to try and either you know win the gunfight or avoid the gunfight, and either way, uh, I think you can come out on top. But yeah, a lot of guns right now, as John said. Okay, next question. 
Our second change is a good knob to twist for balance and freshness. Is you end up making enough adjustments in each pack. Chucking it over to John. Yeah, so I think that secondaries shouldn't be the thing that we're manipulating to determine the power of a faction. Um, I feel like it's—I just feel like it's too easy to be unbalanced when you have three secondaries on a bunch of factions, and then also they're changing secondaries in other parts of the army at the same time. You know, we can see it right now with Space Marines. If they had just changed Space Marine secondaries the way that they did, you know, with the old uh, Nephilim uh, rule pack, it wouldn't have honestly been a big deal. Um, like they got slightly better. But then it was also the doctrine changes and all the moving parts kind of combined where suddenly Space Marines are an amazing army with amazing secondaries. And it's like, ooh, that's that's a little rough. Um, so I really wish they would just, you know, manipulate that in a different way. I think my personal preference, if I got to pick, would be that each faction has one faction secondary and that it uh, doesn't take up. A, it's not a category. So it's not like, oh, well, your good secondary is in the same category as banners. So you just don't have a good third choice. Instead, it's you all draw from the the main uh the main pack hopefully some of those would be a little better and then um and then you get your one faction secondary and it's the one that interacts with your faction the most like for example i would love to keep like the ones that affect miracle dice and the ones that affect blood tithe points and the one that affect doctrines i'd love the ones that are your pure mechanic and the ones that are most distinctly your army i'd love it if that one stayed the ones that reward you for playing the game the way your army should yeah following up on that too like I, I think there's a bit of an issue in that there's 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 too much difference between an army that has three good secondaries and an army that has like a mediocre secondary that is in the same category as banners. Like basically they they need to make their be good secondaries in each category. Not like amazing, but maybe like banners level where you can take it and it's fine and it's solid, but it's not going to be a ton of points coming out of the other side. Like if if you have to take purge the enemy, like let's say you have you know get the good bits and then you have green tide and then you're like oh I'm uh oh like I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel and like orcs can orcs can put together a good secondary game plan don't don't get me wrong they have good secondaries but some armies you know have good secondaries that conflict with rulebook secondaries that are good and then you come out the other side with you know having to take abhor the witch or something or nope no prisoners you hope they give that up or you hope they give up assassinate you just sprint screaming at them don't love that i wish they introduced some decent ones in purge uh or more reliable one in in uh you know the the no prisoners one things like that you know and i love john's idea of limiting it to just one faction secondary because that makes the difference between the factions so much less stark if you have one good secondary you could take it if you have three good secondaries you get to pick the one that's best and I think your John's idea was to only have one secondary per faction. Fine. I, I think I'd go with, you know, you get three, but you got to pick one. You just get one. I mean, that does really diversify. And I, I, I really like what, what John said about them all being linked into something the, the faction does that is specific to the faction. Also, any anything that gives you... So this weekend, I'm playing Teleport Assault a lot with my Grey Knights, which is worth five freaking points now. Nothing should ever give you five points for a thing unless it is holding every objective on the table or every table quarter with two units and holding the middle or something something ridiculous like that. Getting killing I killed a I smited a land speeder down to two wounds left, gated a dreadnought a dreadnought dreadnought, killed the guy, five points. That's just that's just too much. Anyway. Um next question. This one is actually a really cool one. 
How much does where you live affect your meta? Do you think your lists and play styles would have the same success in other countries like Poland or Australia? Go to Jack first. I mean, I'll be honest, I don't know the Polish meta at all. Um, and it's it's only teams. Okay. Um, well, I mean, that helps if you want to play into singles, that's for sure. But the Australian meta is weird. It's just odd, but it works. So I, I think that what meta you play in is is kind of an illusion personally like if there's a lot of guard around you teching for guard is probably good and that's true but it doesn't like make your army better it's just you're trying to make a meta you're trying to make a meta call i guess um i don't know i i don't really know enough about international metas i guess to to really make a comment about this i just know the u.s meta because i travel basically all over the country and i just kind of see the armies that are good performing well and that's maybe the ones that I think are good are the ones that perform well because I see those over and over again. Maybe if I went to Australia more, I'd see different ones. I don't know, but I haven't been to Australia, thankfully. There you go, Adam. Yes, I'll add yet. I'll get him. I'll get him down under. John. Yeah. So obviously, you know, the meta that you live in is gonna change things, but I do genuinely think that the best play styles work in all metas. Um, and at least here, you know, we, you know, we live in a, in Tallahassee, but that doesn't mean that we're the Tallahassee meta is what affects us because, frankly, I play tournaments in every state. I play more tournaments outside of Florida than I do in Florida. Uh, so that, that's not a big impact on me. I honestly think that my playstyle would work in almost every meta, and I would just have to change it a little bit. You know, and, and I mean, I've learned new things too, right? I learned things in Tallahassee that if I had gone to Australia, I wouldn't have learned. And if I, uh, you know, if I go to Australia, I would learn things that I haven't picked up here. So there's always going to be a little bit. But I think overall the playstyle would function the same. Just to uh, to continue on that kind of a little bit, like when we went to WTC, I came out the other side of that with like a ton of new list concepts. So there's plenty of things that are being played that we don't play that are viable and that do well. Yeah, I I think where you play affects a lot. Uh, first first case in point, of course, what Jack said about you know you've got a lot of guard players, you're going to take for guard, and you're going to have a a different opinion of guard than say people in Poland who only play in teams and have to play guard once every you know two or three times a year in actual tournament play because they're playing teams all the time um but anyway next question this is another good one what lessons did you learn from the 22-23 season that you're now applying in this season we have John um I never learned from my mistakes first of all um you know I don't I don't really know I I mean I think it's just for me it's just it's just a constantly evolving picture um, and it's really, you know, I know there's something that I talked to Adam about, uh, right before LVO, if you happen to listen to that show, where it's just about kind of finding what makes me happy with the game. Um, so I, I'm, a, I'm trying to approach this year roughly the same that I approached 2022, which is only take armies that I already consider to be in my wheelhouse or that genuinely appeal to me, not just what's strongest. Now I say that playing Iron Hands right now, but Space Marines are one of my favorite armies and it's. I think the largest collection I have at this point, it's really close to my Tyranids. Um, so I, I don't I don't quite count that the same as, you know, taking nine Void Weavers last year. So it's more just reaffirming what I kind of thought was true going into last year, which is, uh, you know, make sure that I'm enjoying Warhammer as a game. And uh, you know what? It's also, it's also fun to learn new playstyles, so I don't mind that I'm taking a couple more guns than I played last time. I'm, I'm not going to ask Jack this question, because... F him, he won everything last year. So, <laughs> learned nothing. Yeet more. Think less. Now go go for Jack. Um, yeet more. Think less. Easy. 
Like, e- like easy. It's easy. Anyone can do it. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think there's definitely I'm going to try and put an emphasis this year on not overthinking it. I, too, am also looking to scale back like the armies that I play to just ones that I think are cool or fun because, you know, I at the end of the day, also, I don't think that taking that there is one list, especially right now, that you can just take and crush with. There's a whole lot and some of it's matchup dependent and just just play the thing you like. That's what I'm looking to do this year is I'm just looking to have fun at events like I took. Is mixed demons better than Monozinch? Probably has more even matchups across the board. I took Monozinch because it's baller, and uh, it's 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 dope as hell. And did I run into two horrific matchups? Sure did. Didn't make it past the second one. So you know, and I'm I'm still having a good time. Still loving demons. You know, I'm gonna keep just trying to play armies that I think are cool. Yeah, baby. Uh, I would like to note that that's two of the best players in the world who play professionally, still prioritizing what they enjoy, what is cool. So you should too. All right, last question from you two boys, and then we'll go over to record a bit of part two. This one's another cool one. What mindset should you have when adapting a list to a new mission pack and secondaries? Should you change very little or do a complete overhaul? Uh, If the mission pack and your secondaries change, you have to change completely. Like, it is a new army if if the secondaries change substantially. It's a new meta if the mission pack changes substantially points are how you win games you don't win games by having models left at the end of the game and your opponent doesn't you don't win games because your army did cooler things than your opponents you win because you have more points and so you need to have a scoring plan in place of like this is at least generally speaking how i'm planning to uh, score points during my games this is how my army interacts with the missions this is how my army interacts with the terrain format so if the terrain format changes you also have to change your list uh, well, you, you should consider changing your list, at least. You should tune your list for that terrain format. Um, so that all that all matters. If the secondaries change out from under you, you have to have a plan of, like, these two to three I'm going to take, and this is how I'm going to score them with these units doing this, this, the other thing. Yeah, fully agreed. I think when the meta changes the way it has in arcs, you really need to just look at it as I'm going to go resolve the problem. And it's entirely possible that you get to the same result. You know, but uh, everything has changed. Even if you're an army that got literally zero changes, I'm looking at you, Imperial Knights players, you still want to reevaluate things from top to bottom with the new information. And if you lead yourself to the same secondaries, that's okay. You know that you got it right. Um, but uh, you don't. You don't want to just say, ah, well, you know, I took defend the shrine, you know, last month, and uh, that part stayed the same. So I'm gonna keep building for it and hope the rest works out. When early think sisters sh- players should reevaluate and come to new conclusions i mean in in that theme right with uh imperial knights brian jones who is a phenomenal imperial knights player and is you know uh one on team america you know he's he's in the in the pool for team america uh he has changed his list substantially in arcs even though he you know imperial knights have changed literally not one iota he has changed his list very quite significantly has a castle that comes in from reserves turn one like like he's he's playing he's he's playing some he's playing some cool stuff, and his army has not changed at all. But he has to change because things around him are changing. And like, see, he, he, that's a that's an interesting one because presumably he takes most of the same secondaries, but the way he gets them has to be has to be fundamentally different, right? Yeah, it completely is. And uh, I know I know Brian likes playing Imperial Knights just a little bit off the beaten path, just because uh, Knights is uh, a little bit limited in their overall options. And so once you play against a good Knight player running the optimal free blade lance list with those secondaries 
once you play against that twice, you kind of know it's coming the third time as well, because there's not that many options to change it. So he likes going a little bit off standard, and I, he doesn't always take the same secondaries. Uh, I know he likes taking uh, engaged in all fronts, even though it's worse strictly than, uh, than the yield no ground in my mind. It's worse, but it also lets him play different, and it lets him back up with no penalty. And people aren't used to Knights backing up. Yeah, that's actually a, that's actually a crazy good point. Um, but jumping into, uh, we're going to go one more. We're going to go one more, guys, because I got a good one. Um, are we in a gunline meta? Question mark. I think we all have agreed that mostly we are. But what can be done to combat such a thing? Honestly, it's okay when gunlines exist because part of Warhammer is the shooting phase. Uh, but you don't want it to be the end all and the be all. So I think what it is is you uh you look at your local uh, terrain format, and if you're on pretty bad terrain, you you ask your TOs if they can fix it. And then you start planning around that, because there are a lot of armies that can get a plan to beat gun lines, which is either outscore them without getting shot, get to them before they shoot you, uh, score points as you get shot. You know, that's a, that's a world leader staple right there. Um, there. Depending on your army, there's always ways around it, but I think that you have to start building for it, and you, start, you, you have to acknowledge it exists. Step one, identify the avalanche. Step two, figure out how you're going to survive it. We're not in a gunline meta. We're in just a, we're just shooting meta. Nobody sits back really. People do have to push forward. It's a mobile gunline, yeah. So edit edit that out, please. So yeah, I mean anyway, edit that out starting now. Anyway, uh, yeah, people people actually have to move forward with guns, but unfortunately they still just blast people off the table. <laughs> Sometimes you you have to have a plan for it for sure, and. Yeah, I mean, we just need to wait for GW to fix. There's a lot of glass cannons in the meta right now. Unfortunately, Space Marines are like a glass cannon army, which is super weird. That's not how that's supposed to go, but it's okay. Um, but yeah, you have to have a plan for it. Strategic reserves are also a great great way to compensate for going first, going second, especially since they're free now. You can put shooting units into strat reserve and come out and start shooting at people. Hopefully you get the first jump on them. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of options. You could always play Mono Zinch. You know, you could take pink horrors, they split on people, and then they can't kill you in shooting. And that's, that's I think, the dream. Uh, yeah, great answers, uh, one and all. And on that note, we will wrap up this segment with Jack and John. I might, if I'm if, if I'm very lucky, I'm planning to get another segment on in, over, over on to part two with kind of, not post-event, but after another three games or maybe even uh, another six games for each of these guys, depending if they make the finals and their run, just to see, you know, if, if another... If, if nine games of Arcs of Omen changes any opinions, gives you any insights. And also, part two, we have a bunch of faction-specific questions to ask him. I'm going to ask John, is there a Tyranid army right now? What is it? What does it look like? Is there an, If you were taking El, an Eldari faction to an event right now, what would you be taking and why? That kind of stuff. Come over and join us over on part two. I have no idea who I'm interviewing next. I might do War Games Live Joe, because he gets to watch a bunch of games. I want to know if he's seen if the viewing experience of people has been better or worse. Marks to Nephilim to Nachman. That'll be a fun one as well. But stay tuned. We'll be right back with the next segment. The second part of this episode, I have been lucky and graced and blessed enough to be joined by Joe from Wargames Live. I am sitting here in the hall behind his desk. The first of the finals has just finished, and I'm going to interview him a little bit about his learnings, his impressions of the game, and how he's been doing. Firstly, mate, how are you? Welcome to the show. Hey, Adam. It's great to see you, dude. Thanks for having me on. 
My absolute pleasure. It's a, my absolute chagrin that it's pe- taken me this long to get you on. You're one of my most favorite people. And you're essentially living my dream. Um, when I came over in 2020 to do Charity Hammer, I was sussing out whether I wanted to try and do what you're doing right now. And then I came over and for five months last year and, 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 and tried to have a go at it. And I couldn't make it happen, and you have. So I just want to say thank you, and you're doing so fucking well for everybody. Well, thanks, man. I, you know, I, I was going to mention that, actually, because you and I met for the first time before New Orleans, where we where we cast together, and um, we, t- we both talked about having that same dream, and, you know, I, you have the extra hurdle of having, like, visa issues and stuff, but um, I, I'm just still blown away that people enjoy watching the stream and uh, have supported me so much, and I hope that people out there continue to support other content creators in the space and that uh, this can keep growing, because it's an exciting time to be a Warhammer player, for sure. So I've got the same kind of set of questions I've had for Jack and John, but naturally I'm going to I'm going to put them through the lens of someone who's more of an analyst, more of a viewer, more of a spectator, and a fan of the game. And I'm kind of of the opinion that if if Joe Joe is like an obvious expert in the viewership, the optics of the game, maybe not so much in the gameplay, which I think is probably what he's going to say. Um, but Joe, do you like Arcs of Omen as, as, as for your viewers, for your game, for your spectacle and enjoyment? And if so, why? If not, why not? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, and I, I, yeah, Adam and I were talking about this before, like, I don't consider myself at all an expert in the game, I was kind of joking, like, why would anyone care about what I have to say about ARCs, but just from watching a game point of view, um, I would say that it's been a little bit rough at the start, like, lots of one-sided games, um, games with cool moments in them, but usually end up in landslides, and I noticed this at the start of Nephilim as well, actually, um, Starting Nephilim, it got me kind of down because, you know, I do this every weekend and I want to watch close, good games, right? I don't want to see one-sided blowouts. And so this is only my third weekend with ARCs on stream, but the first couple weekends we did have a lot of real real blowout kind of games. But I do think that as players get more used to the, uh, the format and the secondaries and the scoring and everything, it is going to get better. Because the reason I say that is because as we get deeper into the, the tournament and closer to the top tables... Those games tighten up a lot, right? And usually the top table players are kind of, you know, a, a few months maybe or a few weeks ahead of the general crowd when it comes to playing the new mission pack. Um, so I, I think that ARCs is going to turn out to be one of the best mission packs we've had. Because, I mean, look at look at this weekend at Cherokee. Like, look at the spread in top eight. We have two Dark Angels, Votan, Space Wolves. Woohoo! Space Wolves. <laughs> um, Guard, Necrons, Custodes... And Iron Hands, right? I, I mean, that's a lot of Space Marines, I know, but still, it's a cool spread. Yeah, I t- totally agree. The spread isn't too bad. I mean, it's four Space Marines in the top eight, but at least, at least there's like three different three different varieties of them. Um, in your in what you do, traveling traveling the country, streaming, grinding your way through the season after season, event after event, you've been doing it for over a year now, going into possibly about 18 months. What lessons have you learned last year that you're hoping to apply and push in your business, in your structure, in your events, in your coverage this year? Yeah, as the channel has grown, I started off um, thinking that the main draw was going to be like having super high quality games on stream. And I still like having that because it makes my job a lot easier. But what I've learned over this last year is what's really keeping the stream going is the community that's growing up around the stream, right? Like, 
I think it's cool that everyone in the Warhammer community knows that there's a place that can tune in every weekend and hang out and watch a tournament and chat with each other. So a great example is, like, we, we had yesterday, Steven Box came in the stream and was hanging out for a minute. Vic VJ came in the stream and was hanging out. We had uh, Richard Siegler coming in and saying hi and hanging out for a bit. And, you know, a lot of those big-name players were in there. Uh, um, I have to say, Anthony Vanella comes in just about every weekend, actually. It's always great to see him. But, you know, it's cool seeing those big-name players, but to me that just means that they're members of the community, too, and, and so everyone in the community knows they can come into this place and see some of the best Warhammer being played on any given weekend on my stream, and um, that, that to me is... Uh, we joke around on the stream a lot that the camera angles and the technology and stuff kind of baits the trap, but the real thing that keeps you coming back to my stream is the community, so... Absolutely freaking agree. So, what do you? Uh, how do you nurture that? So, you, you have grown one of the best communities. Um, I do note that there is and can be some toxic elements to chats, to communities. Things get negative and tend to have to fight to maintain positivity. How do you combat that in what you do, and how are you try to maintain and grow this community? Yeah, well, I don't know if you know, but I used to be a high school teacher, and I think a lot of classroom management skills actually transfer really well to managing a chat room. So. Um, you, you manage things through positive and negative reinforcement. Um, basically, what I try to do is interact with the people who are talking about the stuff that I want to encourage on the stream and continue those conversations and carry those conversations forward. And the people who are being negative and being toxic and stuff, you know, you start off by just ignoring them because if you feed them any kind of energy, positive or negative, that's what they're looking for. So you just cut the energy off from them. You don't give them their platform and... and um, you move forward, and it's not that there aren't negative things that happen in 40k and that there aren't negative aspects of the game and stuff, but, you know, I just don't want to focus on that on my stream. It's not the thing that I want to think about when I'm here hanging out watching Warhammer, and I think most of us are that way, right? Most of us are playing a game of toy soldiers to escape from drama and real-life issues and all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I just want the chat in my channel to be... Um, a comfortable place where people can look at this. And I'll also say, we do talk about controversial topics and issues in, in Warhammer on my stream because we've created a culture of people being adults in the chat, right? So um, I think that's really cool, you know, that we can have those tough conversations in an internet chat room, which is, like, insane to say. Um, so it's not like we shy away from those things all the time. We just don't focus on it. It's not the focus of the stream. Exactly right. You got to you got to tilt the focus. You got to take the attention, take the take the air out of it. Um, so you've fair to say you have streamed events in every corner of the United States and in Canada a couple times. Yep. Um, do you have any aspirations uh, to stream elsewhere in the world? Well, one of my big bucket list ones is is coming true. I got invited to come be the English language stream at the WTC, which is a huge honor for me. It's the Olympics of 40k, right? It's a huge deal. Um, I'm still working on lining up funding for it because I want I want um, sponsors to pay for it, not not people. My, my fans and community are so super generous. They support me living. Um, I'd like to see if maybe we can get some companies to step up and get me to go out and cover the WTC this year. But I also, I mean, London GT is definitely on my bucket list. It's a huge event. And just any, any of those big events in England, especially, because I, I hear from my viewers all the time that it's a very different kind of scene over there. It's a different... Um, Take on Warhammer. Of course, I'd love to go to Australia as well. I'm only saying English-speaking countries because, unfortunately, that's the only language I can speak. Um, but I, uh, 
I'm always flattered every weekend by how many people we get from just all over the world in the chat. So I would just love to, to go to any of these places, just mostly to meet you guys in person would be really cool. Um, but definitely, yeah, bucket list, WTC, London GT. Uh, what's what's the big one down in Australia, Adam? Uh, uprising, but you could come to ATC, which is our t essentially our WTC. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Team turn Team 40K is so much bigger in other places than the U.S. I even noticed that yesterday when Adam was playing on stream, he, in the middle of his, like, game to get into top eight here at uh, Cherokee, he was making comments about how this game would be in a team format, and you just don't hear that from American 40K players. Like, it just doesn't come up on a radar, and that's kind of sad, I think. I think Team 40K is really cool, and I hope that it continues to grow here in the States, because I would love to cover more of it on the stream, for sure. Uh, yes, you should. Team 40K is the best 40K. Our right, last question before we tune out here, possibly go record a little bit for part two. Um, everyone says... The metas are different in different countries, you, you, in different states, different places, different regions. Do you find that different places, places of the United States have a flavor or have a way they play the game differently? If so, are you able to describe any tools or give us any examples? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, what, what I think happens a lot is that there will be one or two guys in an area that are like the local boogeyman, right? They're like really high-level players who kind of dominate their local scene. And then it's really interesting to see how all the other players in that area kind of tech around that guy or those few guys. There's also different concentrations of like army popularity for sure in different parts of the country. It's a little bit hard for me to name specifics because it's all kind of a blur at this point. Um, I travel so much. I don't always know where I am on a given weekend, so sorry, but I've definitely noticed that um, when I travel from place to place, there's one place where there's lots of Death Guard players, right? There's one place where there's lots of Tau players, uh, lots of Necron players, lots of Space Marine players, right? And it's really interesting because if you're in a meta that has a whole lot of, let's say, Space Marine players, and all the players know that, you see different kinds of lists, right? Because everyone's kind of teching to beat the Space Marines, or if you're in a meta that has a lot of Sisters players or whatever else, you see people change the way they play the game to beat the people they know they're going to face at a given tournament, and um, I, I think that's really cool, but I, I do say, I will say it's really fun to see people building lists to beat, like, one guy in an event. I don't know, there's just something funny about that to me, um, and that, that I guess the one that's standing out to me in my head right now is Jeremy Capco in the, like, the Midwest area, plays a lot of Space Marines. I think he's feasting right now with Iron Hands being so good, but I was at a tournament a few weeks ago, and it was, like, everyone there, I would go up to him and ask him about their list, and the first thing they would say is, this is how I'm going to beat Jeremy Capco that weekend. And uh, to me, like one of the things I wanted to do this for, the reason I love to travel around and do all the different events, is to, is to capture those players and those different metas like you were talking about, Adam. Like, I think it's so neat to see how 40K is played differently everywhere, and not just at these large, giant super majors, which used to be the only tournaments that really got streamed, right? So now we're, we're streaming, you know, RTTs, little tiny GTs in all different parts of the country, and these local heroes and villains are really cool to get on stream. I freaking adore that. I love getting the little stories. I think, you know, you said that the community is a big draw. I think the narratives are a big draw too. But that's that's just for me personally. I get invested in the narratives, people's journeys. But anyway, I'll let you go, mate. Have your lunch break while you still can. Thank you so much for coming on. Greatly appreciate it. Um, anything you'd like to plug or shout out before you, you go? I, I, go support Adam, guys. Support all your other content creators out there. You know, I... Yeah, Adam's making it funny. It, it, plug, plug yourself. I really mean it. Um, I, I, uh, I get a lot of support from you guys, which I really appreciate. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I still don't deserve all of it, all the love, but I, uh, I do really, really appreciate it. 
it means a lot to me. So just continue watching the stream, guys. I'm, I'm live just about every weekend. Uh, you can check me out on YouTube, youtube.com slash wargameslive. And, um, yeah, thanks for having me on, Adam. Really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure, my man. Take care and good luck with the rest of your events. Be right back with the next person who I managed to wrangle for this episode. And we are back for part three of this menagerie. I've been joined by the biggest of birds. The only one I continue to watch. Don't watch Sesame Street anymore. Uh, Mr. Thomas Bird. Hello, my man. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Where, firstly, uh, I haven't had any of your gents on the show yet, to my great chagrin. I know I have had Jaime on before. So, but please plug your wares, mate. Where can people find you if they enjoy your dulcet tones? So, uh, our we have a web YouTube channel, uh, Tabletop Live, or you can search Pro Tabletop. That's our team. Jaime Paris and uh, a couple of the other guys are our main contributors. So, if you love altering content, Leagues of Votan, Space Wolves, all the stuff. That's what we do. Come watch us. Love it. All right, my dude, first question. Are you enjoying your Arcs of Omen? Why, why not? You are, you've now played seven games at Cherokee. I've literally got him. He's sitting at the table slumped after his game versus Brad Chester. Not slumped. He had a great game. But are you, like, are you enjoying Arcs of Omen? What are your opinions? What are your hot takes? Oh, Arcs of Omen's been really good. So uh, it's it's always interesting to kind of mix it up after you've got used to building your list. I tune lists constantly. So you, now you have a new kind of uh, table recipe to kind of build to. Um, I think secondaries have had a lot of flavor. I'm obviously a big Marine fan if you watch any of my channels, so I always get the con comments about Ultramarines, why uh, I'm, I'm not playing that. They certainly have gotten buffed, so I've been playing through the lean time. So now that they're finally good, I've been uh, playing Votan. So I, I think from a Votan perspective, it really helps because they were really taxed for troops. They're really expensive. They even made troops more expensive, so now you're, you're free of having to take troops. And uh, Votan is pretty tough with the... Uh, they're, they're secondaries. They're not kind of top-tier secondary-wise, so you really have to be aggressive and kill. So you can do that. Votan's very nasty with the judgment tokens if your opponent kind of plays into it, but uh, uh, Arcs of Omen really helps with that. So I think from that perspective, it's good. For Marines, it's like, great. Like, they got super buffs. All the secondaries, like, sticky with the data slate stuff. I'm like, if you're playing Marines, like, we played a lot of Marines this weekend. I think... Uh, yeah, 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 loving it. Uh, man, that's my own heart, though. My faction got good, and I left. <laughs> I played Dark Angels for four years straight. Oh, they're top tier. Ah, uh, see you later. I'm out of here. Um, next question for yourself, mate. Um, are we in a gunline meta? And if we are, what can be done? Ooh, I think that's really dependent on the terrain. I think depending on what match, if you go to a GW format, like gunline's gonna struggle unless you're super fast. Like there are some Eldar builds, but like with guard running around, like some of those 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 kind of dancing around Eldar builds, kind of take a hit um kind of have to look at that terrain and see what you can do but melee strong world leaders some of the stuff they can do like that's no joke like guys move fast so they're still melee so i would not just think shooting is the thing i'm playing votan like they're all about shooting and uh, i did pretty well but i got a couple matches where the train wasn't in my favor and and then people were able to hide and effectively tank me on score because their secondaries are better so uh, I've been jumping around my Patreon questions, so these aren't really linear in any way. I uh, had a great one chucked in yesterday. Uh, if you could go back in time and tell one person how to be a champion at 40K in three words, what would they be? <laughs> uh, the first thing that uh, the first thing that came to mind was like, "Get good, sucker." That's what. The, but no, I mean like. Practice, practice, practice. It's, it's three words. I mean, that's what I live by. We play a lot of reps. Uh, some people like like to switch armies just to like faction hop on the latest hop. I'm the guy who's like, I'm going to iterate 1,000 games on my list and change five points every time because uh, 
I think once you're getting in that tournament, you're playing a lot of games. You're going to get in situations where if I've played it a hundred times, I don't have to spend that mental brain power to think of what to do. You have a, you've already done it a million times, and it becomes more reflex, and you can th- spend more time thinking in the game than trying to analyze that stuff. Yeah, that's definitely my take on things as well. I, I like to play. Well, I played four years of nothing but Dark Angels except for WTC Grey Knights, and literally I would change like 200 points, like event to event. But anyway. Um, how does your, the list that you brought to Cherokee take advantage of the new Arcs of Omen detachment, and how well did you think you did executing that? So Arcs of Omen for Votan, like troops, I didn't have to take troops. I was able to take extra heavies. One of the big things for Arcs, uh, you get the free reserves. So for my list in the old days, uh, I have a unit of five Thunderkin with beams. So those guys would cost me two CP to put them in reserves, and I need all the CP. I could not afford that with a, without taking a battalion. Even then, I wouldn't have no CP. Now it's free. Uh, beams come in from the flank and do hot work. You know, when you're like able to beam 34 inches doing mortals across multiple units, that won me some of the games I played this weekend. So that was huge. That's a great tool in my list to kind of dig me out of holes or really put backfield damage on units that they think that they're safe when they're pressing up. So Votan aren't super mobile. So if you can kind of come in a flank and hit a lot of guys, it's big. So I think from my perspective, that was a, the biggest change was the CP add and then the reserves for Votan. Beautiful. Um, are secondary changes a good knob to twist by G-Dub for balance and freshness? Is G-Dub making enough adjustments to them in each balance pack? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, you 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 live and die on those secondaries. Like, first thing you should do when you start looking at an army, what do I want to do when I build a list, is how uh, what secondaries I'm building for. Like, you have to make your army do certain secondaries. I think when I play Ultramarines, I have a, a, a big, broad realm of secondaries I can choose for, so it's kind of flexible. But for Votan, it's very limited, right? So I have to make sure I have the tools to do that. If you look at the secondaries and you tweak them, certain armies that were strong can really drop off and, you know, vice versa. So I think it is a good tool. Um, it also can shift your lead. So it's like how often are they tweaking it and, you know, what subtle changes? So cause it could be a real feel bad when you walk up and someone has an auto 45. We've seen the Necrons in the heyday, right? Like until they kind of tweak that a little bit bad so it can be it can be a little too much sometimes i think but i think if they do it just right you know they can help some armies without making drastic point changes and stuff um so you live in the georgia area yep um how much does where you live affect your meta do you think your list and play styles have the same success uh where you live or in other states of the united states or overseas uh, we, we certainly have a little bubble of a of a meta, so it's, it's it's sometimes funny when we go out to broader events. We usually are just in the southeast, so the Warzone Atlanta crew, that's our crew. So, like, we have a lot of guys down in the southeast area that we play frequently. Uh, and then at my studio, I have the, the locals, and we kind of get to know each other's lists. So we're all, like, everyone's always like, don't practice against Thomas because my list is weird. And then you're like, you're not going to see that in a tournament. But um, I think for the most part, we're all relevant the you know, worldly of what are the lists that are common. We have a broad breadth of, of things. So if we don't play those lists, we know what they are. So we try to at least accommodate that. So I think for the most part, we do okay. Yeah. Uh, last one for this part, and then we might, might do a bit on part two. Uh, what mindset should you have when adapting a list to a new mission pack and secondary? Should you change a very little from what you were playing from the previous pack or strip it back, build it up again from the ground? Yeah, so from my perspective, I think unless there's some drastic things, like your favorite unit just got, uh, you know, 100 points added to it or some secondary just made these things way better, I think I like to iterate. I know I have a good list. I tweak it. I refine it. Change little pieces here so you're not having to reinvent the wheel. Every time you change a variable, you know, unless you're just getting a lot of reps, you just don't have enough time to process the changes. And one-off games, you're not going to get all the full value of 
did I just make a play mistake with that unit or is that unit just bad, right? So from my perspective, just small tweaks is a little bit better unless you just see something drastic, right? Like, like I said, for Votan, troops really went up. They lost value. I love the troops, so I had to take all the troops out. But all of a sudden, Thunderkin are good. And so how do I tweak to, to take advantage of what Thunderkin can do? And I, I changed my list to kind of accommodate that. Beautiful. On that note, we'll wrap up with my, you, good man, Mr. Bird. We'll go see you on part two. Uh, what's your next event, and are you sticking with Votan? I, that's a tough one. I, uh, there's a little RTT next weekend um, up in uh, Greenville, South Carolina at Borderlands uh, Hobby. I think I think that's the name of the store. Um, I, I think I'll probably play Ultramarines. I do love my Votan. They were doing some work, so it's just a little one-day RTT to see some old friends. Um, I think the next big event is... Um, we might have a Warzone Gigabytes coming up in May, I think. Yeah, so I have to check the calendar. Uh, in April, there's Mayhem. I think there's a team event up in uh, Battle for Salvation up in New York. So I got to decide. I think those are on the same weekend. So I got to like make some choices, right? So my team wants to go do a team event. So yeah, but there's tournaments every month. So we'll be going somewhere. Hell yeah. Well, good luck to you, sir. Uh, thanks for coming on. Once again, go check it out uh, at Pro Tabletop. And we are back with our fourth and final segment for this episode. And I'm joined by the wonderful gentleman who gave me my first draw in all of 9th edition. I'm not sure if I had any draws in 8th edition. Definitely my first in 9th edition. Introduce yourself first. So, where are you from? What are you playing? How did you do at the event? What's going on, guys? Uh, my name is Steven Corrales. I'm a captain and founder of the team Xenos Petting Zoo. And uh, I'm from San Diego, California. The, the good old uh, ZPZ, X, XPZ, XPZ, Xenos Petting Zoo, as a hilarious freaking title. So I'm just going to be bouncing some questions off you, brother. Hopefully that's okay with you. First up, you are, you you went you played the quarterfinals for this event, making the top eight. So you played seven games of Arcs of Omen at an absolute minimum, probably a bunch more. What are your impressions of this pack compared to last pack and previous ones? Do you like it? Why? Why not? Yeah, um, so Arcs of Omen is interesting, and I think that it's come uh, it's come at the right time. Um, and I like it a lot. And the thing that I think that I like about it the most is it brings most factions into viable competition where we've usually seen one, two, three really rise above. You can see it in uh, the events that are starting to shake out where you see a real versatile top cut. Anybody can make it. You're seeing Votan. You're seeing Marines. You're seeing Guard. You're seeing Offshoot Marines. You're seeing all sorts of different stuff that can make its way in there. Um, and I think everything's kind of being dialed in well for balance. You can really tell the balance matters. So I think for uh, competitive versatility and creativity, I think uh, 40K competitively is in the best state that I've experienced it in. Dude, great answer. And great to hear such positivity about ARCs. It has been, some people were, were pretty down on it on the launch. And I would say I'm, it hasn't been as bad as I thought it would be. Um, uh, diversity wise, diversity wise, it is what I thought that was going to be super DACA centric. Space Marines are going to shine, etc., etc. Um, are secondary changes a, a good knob to twist for balance by G Dub, and are they doing enough of those? Yeah, you know, I think that when it comes to secondaries, when we start running through them, the one thing that I, that I, I would say that is my largest gripe so far with Arcs of Omen and what's going on. I think the intent is there, and we see a, a definite effort for people to change it up. But I think the biggest issue I find is, is we're getting to a position where a lot of sac secondaries, which are mainly the core secondaries, are getting kind of funneled out or de-incentivized just by the way the game goes. And most factions are running into the fact that they are just... Pit you take one or two secondaries and several factions have betters than others. There's not really a good uh, 
equivalency there. Tyranids are a great example. Tyranids are a cool faction that has access to a lot of um, creativity, but because their secondaries are so bad, it's hard for them to compete with other armies. I think the same thing happens with, uh, if you look at Chaos Space Marines, you have a lot of subpar secondaries, so it's hard for that faction to be as competitively viable as some other armies that have better ones. So I think that this does have a huge impact on everything, and I would like to see a little bit, um, every army I would like to see at least have a couple really good secondaries, and that being uh, more quickly assessed than maybe points and, and other stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. So, Next on, staying on secondaries. So a lot of secondaries uh, reward with CP now, behind enemy lines, etc. Are they strong enough, do you think, to warrant picks over faction secondaries in other, in other slots? Absolutely. I mean, if we look at our top eight, I think that Iron Hands is a great example. Uh, a lot, most Iron Hands builds, at initial look, you're thinking are going to be, you know, gun lines that are just going to take all these kill secondaries. But most of them, the most competitive ones are built in to take uh, Battlefield Supremacy category, which is not killing at all. And they're taking behind enemy lines because certain units can pull that off well and it's reliable. Because one thing that's important with your secondaries is... is you want your game plan to be free of agency from your opponent. So if I just have to be in a position and my opponent can't stop it, that's a great secondary, especially if it rewards CP and uh, definitely for the troops' battlefield roles because it incentivizes um, a more movement-based game instead of just uh, you know a lot of the lopsided things that make you feel weird. Totally, totally agree. I think that there's so many armies that just auto-get some of these passive secondaries. Like, behind enemy lines is just, I think it's too good now. I mean, it's so funny that Engage was like the auto-take for so freaking long, and then they've nuked it, and we've never gone back. I haven't taken Engage since since they nuked it, not once. Um, so, next one is a bit of a fun one. What, what rule or mechanic do you want to never see return to 40k in 10th edition? So, from 9th edition, that you want to see go away, never come back. Man, that's a, that's a tricky one. A mechanic that I wish would go away. I think the biggest, the most oppressive thing that I think happens right now has to do with uh, in, uninteractable terrain or things that are uh, a little bit oppressive in that sense. And the two things that shine in my the examples are one would be a magic box type terrain. Um, and that's a little bit outside of what we have control if we're talking about rules and the addition and stuff like that. But that's, that's the one indicator. The second thing is I think that uh, units that can interact with too many stratagems that cause issues. I think a good example, nobody is really liking Kazarkins in their current state. It's just a little bit too much. You know, I think that uh, that's something that I wish there wasn't as much overlook in, in certain units that can be over the top. So things that you have agency on, I think they're doing great. Um, indirect fire got, got brought back down. Airplanes got brought back down. So I think the worst thing for us as far as a rule setting is things that we can't do anything about that will win games for other people. Things that are uninteractable. We had, there was actually a long time ago in 8th where there was a suggestion, because you just, you just sparked my interest on that, a suggestion that you restrict certain unit types to only having a certain amount of CP used on them at a time. So let's say you're a troop slot, cool, you can be, you can be under the effects of two stratagems at once. Or you're a fast attack, cool, maybe you're two as well. Elites, maybe one. Heavy support, maybe one. So there can't be any stacking. We'll really limit... If, if, you're gonna, if we're going to use CP as the basis of one of our core mechanics for balance and power... Limit how many can be used and applied. So, but that was that was more for the eighth edition Death Stars, things like the Aberrants, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, do you reckon you could use that in tenth edition? Yeah, you know, I never really thought about that because uh, Adam, I, I kind of started playing back competitively at the turn of ninth, so I didn't play a, t a whole bunch of eighth. So I'm a little bit newer when it comes to the real competitive level play. But you know, that's a, that's a thing that I think would instantly fix it. At, you know, just at a quick glance, I think at a glance that's an amazing idea. Just restrict how many stratagems you can put into a unit at a time. Um, you know, although with with respect to one thing that I do feel like we are starting to do 
when it comes, I think chaos is a real good example. What you don't want to do is restrict so much that it becomes really vanilla and bland. Because I think that, like, if you look at chaos characters as a good example, you don't really have a lot of good relics, a lot of good stratagems, a lot of stuff's really restricted. So you kind of get funneled into one or two things, and there's not a lot of flavor in that. So, you know, restricting, but I think that's a good, uh, that would be a good problem solver. Yeah, that's a spot. You just brought it back to my attention from a conversation literally like four years ago. So that's pretty funny. Um, what lessons have you learned from last season that you're trying to apply to this season, if any? Yeah, I think uh, so. I think this season, what I'm trying to, to do is bring back fundamental gameplay in my preparatory portion of my game. So I think one thing that, a lot, that I see a lot of people do is uh, not pay enough consideration to their terrain drop in their position as it re applies to their battle plan. So for me, I'm really trying to, to, you know, consider what my opponent's secondaries are going to be. I'm really considering what I'm trying to achieve and how all of that stuff's going to fall out as I place terrain. I'm also, you know, comparing and measuring where how my other terrain sets and fits and things like that. So I think the preparatory portion of that and secondary selection, those are the major things that I feel like I've been trying to, already seeing results from it and trying to elevate to the next level. Just that, that mission understanding. Um, be yeah, beautiful. So just, just, just better prep, better, more more streamlined prep. Um, how does the list that you brought to Cherokee, first tell us what you brought to Cherokee, uh, how, and how does that list take advantage of the Arcs of Moment Detachment? Yeah, so I brought a, a, a balanced Dark Angel list that I've been running uh, for a while. It's I took a list that I was kind of training with in uh, in Nephilim and kind of just carried it through. And the reason I carried it through is because with the points decreases, you kind of just got double the units almost. So my list is a, is a core of uh, Deathwing, a little bit of Terminators. It's about 650 points of, of Deathwing um, and two units of 10 that are mixed. And I run them with five shields and hammers and five chain fists and storm bolters. Um, I like having the storm bolters for the GSC matchups, the guard matchups, and uh, things like that. Also, the chain fist AP comes into, comes into effect a lot more than you would think than the hammers and shields for the saves. Um, then I bring one unit of infiltrators because they're just too good right now, and you, you want that forward deploy option and the screening option. Um, and then I bring a, a big contingent of Ravenwing because I think speed and the ability to kill things that are uh, decisively kill threats is um, necessary. You can't you can't win a game without being able to mitigate certain threats that are going to disrupt your game plan. So I bring two units of attack bikes. Um, I had three for a while. I thought it was too redundant. So and I separated the third one for um, a land speeder tornado. And, and an ATV, um, and I, I like them both for several reasons. I like the fly keyword and the vehicle durability, and also access to the land speeder strat for my tornado, for the uh, target priorities plus one to hit. And I like the ATV because it has access to a little bit more neg two firepower with volume, and it um, it can really be a um, hard target to remove because it has access to primary strats. So you get a lot of the mobility, but I can transhuman it. I can put it in dense. It has the jink invuln, so it can really become. People under-allocate, and it'll survive. Um, I like it for that reason. Um, and then a unit of bikes. And then on top of that, I have some characters to support the Deathwing, and then uh, some characters to give rerolls and support my bikes. So I just really support those units. Um, and it's designed, so how it pertains to arcs, it plays a balanced game plan that can really take advantage of everything we're trying to do. Um, I first build in, since we don't have to leave the Devastator Doctrine with, oh, and I have two Talon Masters, which is essential to my game plan. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the two Talon Masters are there, and, and all of the Ravenwing stuff, because they really lean into the ability to get Codex Warfare. Now that I don't have to leave the Dev Doctrine, um, getting two points per unit kill is like, it's, it's literally death on the wind with no restriction. So that's a really reliable secondary. Um, next, we're taking banners because we can hold it pretty well. And uh, I have the flexibility to take Stubborn Defiance if I need it and Odes a Moment if I need it. So most of those games, you have a really solid core score plan. You have a really solid list that can really um, 
handle all comers, and it can passively score into guard because that was a big thing that I was thinking. When you see Votan and when you see guard, it's important to be able to outscore them without taking casualties. And usually you'll be able to eliminate the viability of one of their secondaries while not doing that to yourself. And as long as you keep your trajectory correct and don't make mistakes, you'll, you'll, you'll pass through them. So I think as it translates into arcs, it does well because um, we have the right secondaries. We have a breadth of secondaries that are... are uh, viable, and I think that it can handle all comers. It has the right answer for durability. It has answers for everything. So as you start to get more familiar with all of the matchups and the present matchups, A, it'll transition well as it moves forward, and B, it also can take any strength and any weakness of an army and either exploit it or mitigate it. That's why. In-depth, great, and, and, and thorough. I, I much appreciate it, mate. Last question before we go to part two. Um, are we in a gunline meta? And if so, what can people do about it? I think that initially you're going to see the gunline meta. Uh, so yes, but yes and no. And the reason yes is because a lot of the gunline armies got objectively better, and the secondaries that complement them are better. However, do I think that the gunline armies are good enough to win and top eight major events? I think the answer is no. So I think what you need to end up doing, and what I do, is you need to be prepared and have a plan for it. But I think as you get to the top of the game, if you're just set to be a gunline or fight a gunline, then you'll fall short to certain melee threats. For example, you have Space Wolves in this top eight. Then you have balanced Iron Hands with Vanguard Vets. So if you're just all gunline, you're just an auto loss because they will get into you there. So I think you'll see that a lot at the middle tables or the guys that are working their way up in competition. But I think when you get to the top of it, you won't see gunlines in like that at all. So I think that it's a thing where we are in a gunline meta. You do need to have an answer for it. But I think uh, you should to be that worried if you if you're at the top of the competitive level where, where you're worried you know you're facing these top cuts because you need a balance list that can handle everything skews tend to not perform well another great answer and on that note we will check out this will be the end of the episode thank you so much hopefully it's been a good one for you guys it, probably a little bit disjointed jumping back and forth like i said i wish i had a i wish i brought a yeti with me but i've just got my i got my actual headphones in my hands i'm part, putting it in front of people's faces so um hang with us we'll be over in part two got a bunch more interviews of part twos with some people some brand new ones and yeah hope you guys have enjoyed this one thank you for listening to art of war down under a content review podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War Down Under. Signing out from tomorrow.